Well, we have uh, two Bible readings this morning. Uh, the first one is from Matthew 27 and at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying Hail King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And the second reading is from Revelation, last book in our Bibles, chapter 19 and at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he's a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts today. All those years ago, uh, 70 years ago, when uh, the coronation of uh, Queen Elizabeth II took place, uh, 1953 in Westminster Abbey, uh, the climax of that whole ceremony was when the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, placed uh, the crown upon her head. Of course, that's what the word coronation means, isn't it? It means the crowning. I hadn't realized this actually until I looked into it a little bit, uh, that uh, the Queen has more than one crown. The crown that was used at the coronation is called uh, St. Edward's crown. It's a very heavy one, which is why she doesn't wear it most of the time. It has got gold laid round about it and a whole variety of different uh, precious stones. The one that she tends to wear more is one that is called uh, the imperial crown, the imperial state crown. And uh, it's much lighter apparently, but it still contains, I've got it written down here, 2,868 diamonds uh, in it. Of course, the whole idea of the crown is not just the physical object, It's the symbolism, isn't it, of the whole thing. It conveys a message, a message about majesty, about importance, about about authority. Well, we've read two passages. I'm sure you've picked up the fact that crowns were mentioned in both of these passages today. And there is a symbolism in both of these crowns as well, that I think is relevant to us all today. 
So let's take them uh, in turn. The first one in Matthew 27 uh, is the, the narrative of the crucifixion. And what is mentioned in particular is the crown of thorns that uh, the, the soldiers formed and uh, pressed down on the head of Christ. And in mockery, they, they bowed before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. What, what is this crown saying? What, what is the symbolism of, of the crown of thorns? Well, it's saying this. You say that you're a king. You say that your people have said that you are the king of the Jews. That is ridiculous. Your people are the ones that have delivered you to Pilate. They've said, we will not have this man to rule over us, to reign over us. If you think that you're a king, clearly that's a delusion. That is ridiculous. And because it's ridiculous, we will ridicule you. And we will ridicule that claim. And that is why they dressed him as a a pseudo-king with a reed for a scepter, with a purple robe, and with a crown of thorns upon his head. And they bowed before him to demean him and to humiliate him and to ridicule him on that occasion. But he was a king. He is a king. The high king of heaven who stepped off his heavenly throne and stepped down into this world of ours and came to seek and to save those who are lost. Came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You'll remember that at his birth, the wise men said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We saw his star, majestic star in the east, and we've come to worship him. He has a royal genealogy that we read about in the Gospels that take him all the way back. His royal lineage is clear. He had a a herald who proclaimed him, John the Baptist, who prepared the way of the Lord. And even when Pontius Pilate, at this time of crucifixion, asked him, are you a king? Of course he replied, you're right in saying that I am a king. But he humbles himself to death, even death upon a cross, symbolized with this crown of thorns. And and that crown of thorns really symbolizes two things. The message conveyed by that crown is two things. On the one hand, it is the ridicule of the people. And on the other hand, it is the love of Christ. And Christ comes to us and he demonstrates his compassion. And for his people, there is nothing more majestic than the love of Christ. For us, that the Son of God, the High King, should love me. And such is his sense of faithfulness 
and commitment and dedication to his task, it takes him all the way to Calvary and the events that took place. And of course, we know that it's more than just physical death, horrific although that was, brutal although that was. It is the message behind all of that, that there is, there is the, the payment for the sin of the world. There is Christ becoming sin for us. All of that is conveyed in this message. Our second one, from Revelation chapter 19, is quite different. You probably picked up on it, actually, when we read it, that it doesn't just talk about one crown in that passage. It's a a picture this time of, of the future. It's a picture describing the return of Christ, the return of the King. Heaven is opened. And he he proceeds out of an open heaven, coming back to earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And part of the description is this, that on his head are many diadems. What's a diadem? A diadem is a crown. It's a particular type of crown. Um, In the first century, there there were victors' crowns given at the games, laurel wreaths. A diadem is a royal crown. And there are many diadems on the head of Christ in this description. And the point of that, of course, is this. There are all these kings upon the earth. But it's as though he gathers up all the crowns from all the kings. And he wears them. He is king of all the kings. He is Lord above all the lords. There is no higher person, no greater person, no more authoritative person, no more majestic person than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so although we we think about the crown of thorns and his suffering and his rejection and his ridicule today, we also remember that God raised him from the dead. And we remember that he was ascended and exalted in heaven and he is coming again and we don't know when that will be but we are told to expect that any time he could return like a thief in the night at any moment when we think prosperity, security ease and relaxation is all around us at any moment Christ could return and he exercises justice and righteousness on this occasion And we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And the greatest sense of readiness is in trusting Christ as our own Savior and King. As giving Him the first place. Crowning Him as King in our lives. We sang that song, of course, didn't we? It's based, I think, on this this passage. Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. And if you remember, the various verses take us through a litany of different things. Crown him the King of life. Crown him the King of love. Crown him the Lord of heaven. Every area of life, you know, he, he, he supersedes in. 
And uh, he exceeds in. And he is the king of all of that. Such is the greatness of the Lord Jesus. And of course, the, the natural conclusion that um, this kind of message has for us is, have I crowned Christ in my life? Crowned him properly as my sovereign. One of, the favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, you can, you can maybe read it later, it's a great read. It's a great read to read to children, it's a great read for yourself, uh, is in Second Samuel uh, chapter 15. It's the story of the king at that time, uh, King David. Um, and he's been ousted. Uh, his, his son uh, has betrayed him, taken over the kingship, and, and, and he, he has to flee. The enemy is at the gate. And it's a description of how King David, with some of his entourage, uh, just make it in time out of Jerusalem before Absalom comes in. And uh, they walk up the Mount of Olives. And it's, it's a very kind of uh, moving Description, a lot of pathos in it. it describes, you know, the the path up the mountain being lined with people who are who are weeping. You can almost imagine the rain falling and the dark skies, and you know, David and his his people reach the summit. They're they're, they're escaping out into the wilderness. And uh, the interesting thing is that there are a variety of people who meet him at different points. And uh, there's a little group at the summit of the Mount of Olives. A man who formed part of his bodyguard, who actually was a foreigner, and who hadn't been with him for all that long. He was a man who was known as Ittai. And he was a Gittite. Ittai the Gittite was his name. And uh, the king, David, said, Ittai, what, what, what are you doing here? Uh, you don't have to be part of this. Uh, you're under no obligation to stand with me. Uh, you're a foreigner. And, and this is what he said, actually. You only came yesterday to be part of this. And you should, you should just go home. Uh, you don't have to be part of whatever is happening to me. I have no idea. I'm going out into the wilderness in this exile. And Ittai kind of stands to attention. And he says, My Lord the King, Wherever, wherever it is and whatever happens whether it is in life or in death wherever my Lord the King goes I'll be there and you know David's moved of course by that really moved and all, all he can say is pass on on you go and he stands with the rejected King I mean that must have meant a a phenomenal amount to King David on that day. Now, that's an illustration. I think we can see the point of it. Our Lord is rejected. He is the rejected. He will come one day, but he currently is rejected and still ridiculed. And the crown of thorns is still the imagery, by and large, in our day and age. He asks us to stand with him in his rejection. He asks us to crown him as our captain, 
to say, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. To bow our hearts to his sovereignty and say, the first place is yours. I will obey you. I'll bow my knee. The passage in Philippians that was read earlier, it really is referring to this time in Revelation 19 when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that will be an enforced thing on many people who had not been willing to do that. But the challenge for us today, the joyful expectancy, is for us not just to bow our knees, to take a knee for Christ, but to do that from our hearts and to acknowledge his sovereignty over our hearts and lives. I mean, that's really what it means to be a Christian, is to do that. And what it really means is this, to take, to take your stand with Christ wearing the crown of thorns so that one day you will share in his glory when he comes wearing the many diadems. Amen. Now shall we pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. Lord, we give thanks for the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the imagery of the crowns from these two passages. And we pray that we will have honored him uh, today. And we ask that in all of our hearts and lives, there might be that point of the crowning of Christ, where we acknowledge that he is the son of the living God, the majestic one, and we bow our hearts to serve him. And so we pray by your spirit to touch all our hearts as we think about the greatness of our Lord Jesus and of your goodness to this country and for the gift of Queen Elizabeth. And we pray for her today in our frailty now. We ask that a sense of your love and your compassion surround and strengthen her as we ask in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.